Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, acknowledgement and celebration as President Joe Biden creates a new national monument known in English as Ancestral Footprints of the Grand Canyon National Monument. We'll speak with longtime indigenous activist Ian Zabarte on his response to the creation of this new monument and nuclear colonialism, plus more. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone One day before International Indigenous Peoples Day, President Joe Biden created on August 8th of 2023 a new national monument in Arizona covering close to a million acres of lands surrounding the Grand Canyon, important and sacred to nearby Native American nations. In English, known as the Ancestral Footprints of the Grand Canyon National Monument, it is the fifth national monument designated by President Joe Biden in the past 10 months, and the new monument also prohibits uranium mining claims throughout the region. The legacy of nuclear colonialism, which includes uranium mining for over a century and its impacts on Native American nations, peoples, and Mother Earth, remains a highly censored in the United States American mass media landscape. Despite the recent media attention of the film Oppenheimer, released this past July 21st of 2023 in the United States, and on August 6th of 2023, marking the 78th anniversary of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, wherein over 140,000 people died in Hiroshima on August 6th, and 74,000 people in Nagasaki died three days later, Native Americans and settler colonial violence are absent from these stories and the American public conscious. Our guest on today's program, Ian Zabarte from Nui Segovia or the Western Shoshone Nation, is a longtime indigenous activist who worked tirelessly to stop the Yucca Mountain High-Level Nuclear Waste Repository in the Western Shoshone Treaty Lands, also known as the State of Nevada. He is also a board member of the Native American Community Action Council. He joins us for the hour to discuss the legacy of nuclear colonialism and the unresolved issues related to uranium mining, enrichment, transportation, nuclear power plants, nuclear weapons, and nuclear waste sites, plus more. 
We begin our interview with Ian Zabarte on his thoughts regarding the recent August 8th announcement creating the ancestral footprints of the Grand Canyon National Monument. Yeah, it's a, a good day here. I've been working with the Havasupai and other tribes, uh, the Wallapai along the uh, Grand Canyon, to create the Ba Navajo Ita Coventi Grand Canyon National Monument. And I got involved with that because the Havasupai uh, took us on a tour uh, probably 2014, and we stumbled across the Canyon Mine, which now has a new name. I, I don't know what the new name of it is, but it's uh, just a couple of miles from the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and they were dropping a, a uh, shaft. Without a permit, they went into the water and started dewatering, and they were spraying the uranium-tainted water out of the shaft and out around to the Grand Canyon watershed. Now, the worst part about that whole thing is they actually punctured the aquifer underneath the area. And this is the problem with the, the uranium mining around the Grand Canyon, that it would then pollute that groundwater, which is connected to all the other water sources, including the Havasupai's, um, uh, Havasupai Falls. So that's where uh, I got to get engaged and begin to advocate on behalf of the land and people that our core mortality, even there uh, for the Havasupai and the Wallapai, is radiation and fallout from nuclear weapons testing. And because of that fallout, we cannot endure any increased burden of risk from any source, including uranium mining tailings or fracking. Fracking fluid has uranium in it. Uh, gasoline, all fossil fuels have uranium in it, coal, coal ash. So I've been actually working for years before this, to shut down the Reed Gardner uh, generator. It's a coal-fired power plant that was 50 miles outside of Las Vegas, the number one polluter of the Grand Canyon. Mm. And we accomplished that by going solar and by, again, the same argument that because of our past exposure to radiation and fallout from nuclear weapons testing, the tribe, in that case the Moapa Band of Paiutes, could not endure any increased burden of risk, risk uh, including the Tenorum, technologically enhanced, naturally occurring radioactive material that came from the coal ash at the Reed Gardner Generating Station right next to the reservation. With the creation of the new monument, my understanding is that will protect the lands in three different areas where there's either been a legacy or there's a proposal to engage in uranium mining, which is, you know, a struggle that goes back uh, years in previous uh, presidential administrations. So I was wondering maybe you could speak to that and why today's announcement it helps protect the land and the and the people. Yeah, well, as I mentioned earlier, it, this is all about water. Okay, right. your water, I am water, and uh, I heard this from uh, a young Havasupai woman where she said, I am water, and I think that is really what's key here. And that mm -hmm. those people, indigenous people, generally have a better understanding of what we're trying to protect. You know, the, the, uh, the engineers, the miners, the uh, scientists, they're trying to do pure science. They want to build things and engineer things, and they're kind of disconnected from the land, whereas indigenous people, we know what we're trying to protect. We're trying to protect the water. We're trying to protect the plants, our medicines, the, the animals. This is what's really important. And over thousands of years, that's what we're trying to protect for future generations. 
that's what's missing on the other side. So as I mentioned, they've already punctured the aquifer under the uh, south rim of the Grand Canyon, and it needs to stop before some real dangerous ex- contamination occurs that would then threaten the communities uh, that live down at the bottom. In many of the the issues that Indigenous peoples and the respective First Nations have been enduring throughout this area for generations, um, I was wondering maybe you can speak to that because I, I know, um, you know, one time I was visiting uh, one of the Diné communities outside of, east of the Grand Canyon in Cameron, and, you know, we walked out um, with a Geiger counter and what looked like a small mesa was supposed to be a capped uranium mine. And the Geiger counter couldn't even read uh, the radiation levels. And Diné families were living all around these capped mines uh, near water, which was contaminated, which contaminates the land, the plants and the animals, which, as you mentioned, indigenous peoples rely on. Uh, for sustenance and for cultural sustainability. And so you mentioned this kind of, this critical juncture. Yeah, I was wondering if you maybe speak to that relationship to the history of the land uh, when it comes to uranium. Yeah, well, I think uh, on the uh, south rim and even on the north rim of the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. one of the estimates I heard was about 9,000 uranium claims and that's been whittled down to 800 that are real or potentially uh real that would be pursued and i think most of that has now been set aside it's to protect the land and the people for future generations we live in the high desert and we live a conservation lifestyle for that seventh generation and that didn't have value to other Americans when they came west. They saw us underutilizing the land, and they called us underutilized segments of the population when they did nuclear weapons testing. Mm. And that is kind of the treatment our land and the people have had. So we have been fighting this for a long time, and the um, problems persist because other people just want to make some money. And they came to the hearing last month, I think it was June 22nd, the hearing was in Flagstaff, and it was a packed house, probably 300 people there. And uh, my comments, again, were to drive home the fact that we are all downwinders. The Shoshone people have had 928 nuclear weapons detonated on our land, and that fallout went everywhere. And that's why I say that our core mortality, all of us, you, me, all Americans, the fallout went everywhere. And if you saw the New York Times article a couple of weeks back, there's some new modeling which shows where the Trinity fallout went, which mm. shows where the Nevada test site fallout went. So we're all downwinders. Our core mortality is radiation exposure in fallout from nuclear weapons testing. And we don't know what the next exposure would be that would be the tipping point for each individual because all radiation exposure is cumulative. So we need to be aware of the uh, uh, basis of our core mortality and where we've lived. So we began investigating lifestyle differences in 1992 with the Childhood Cancer Research Institute and our Nuclear Risk Management for Native Communities Project. We looked at lifestyle, diet, and mobility. Lifestyle, uh, or excuse me, diet, how much we ate, how we prepared our food, and uh, how often we ate the food. Mobility, where we went, what we did there, 
hunting, fishing, gathering, praying, ceremonies, and shelter, where our houses were, uh, how long we spent there. Those are the important things. Lifestyle is important. Origin is important. And our people spend a lot of time outside in these areas, downwind, and we were not told. We were not told. We had to find our own answers, and we're still not being helped by the United States. So we continue to do this work, and we continue to make other people aware because we're trying to protect the future generations. And what we're experiencing are these cascading health effects over time that uh, manifest in children, girls two to one over boys. And that's very important to understand. We need to protect these uh, children. We need to protect this land for the future generation. And, you know, uh, in a conservation lifestyle, as my aunt Darlene Graham uh, puts it, there's sacrifice to living in the desert. You can't have green grass and water that and replace all the indigenous trees with palm trees and expect there not to be consequences. And that's what we're looking at uh, in, in different parts of the world. Here in the Great Basin, uh, just north of Las Vegas, we have the oldest life on the planet. Down in, in the Grand Canyon, there's condors. There's beautiful life there that we need to protect. And I'm just trying to, you know, do everything I can. I shut down the coal-fired power plant over here because of the uranium and the fallout. Uh, we're getting this monument designated to protect the land and people because of the fallout and the uranium. This is the right thing to do, and that's what we're going to continue to do for the future generations. Well, I also recall the work uh, that you've done over the years regarding uh, stopping the Yucca Mountain nuclear waste uh, repository there in, in New Escobia uh, as well. And you're talking about um, time or generations for indigenous peoples. And when we talk about uranium and certainly nuclear testing, you know, Americans and, and even native people are reminded of it through the very popular uh, film Oppenheimer, which was released on July 21st of, of this year. And while it's received a lot of praise for, uh, for the story that's told about um, uh, nuclear testing. Um, at the same time, it's received some criticism, and a lot of that criticism uh, fails to mention indigenous peoples, and certainly the Navajo Nation president or Dene Nation president, uh, Bu Nigren, um, penned an essay for Time magazine recently uh, commenting about the film, you know, mentioning that, quote-unquote, the Navajo people cannot afford to be yet again erased from history. And and he also said the movie was released five days after the 44th anniversary of the Church Rock uranium mill spill, where 94 million gallons of radioactive waste poured into the Puico River. And um, uh, we can go on and we can talk about uh, also August 6th, marked the 78th anniversary of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, where, you know, uh, scores or hundreds of thousands of Japanese and some 30,000 plus Koreans were killed at the hands of Americans. And and yet uh, it all comes back to the land and indigenous peoples and with uranium, right? We fail to understand the legacy of uranium and its lifespan and and how that relates to what you were saying. I was wondering, I know that was um, a lot to pack in, but I was wondering if you could unpack that for us sure. in relationship to that notion of time or generations for indigenous peoples. 
Sure. So uh, as, as an indigenous person, uh, Western Shoshone, uh, we are Nua, Nuna. We uh, just walked out of a 10, 20,000 year history in the past 150 years. So it's fresh to our people. The land is still there. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been experiencing for almost 20,000 years, as far as we, we know, since time immemorial. And I haven't seen Oppenheimer, but all of the scholars that I that I speak to, uh, which are mostly uh, intellectuals, have said that it's a simple explanation of the nuclear age that doesn't address the consequences. And there's another film that is about the people, which is called Downwind. Downwind of uh, of Oppenheimer is what I'm saying uh, these days, because we actually look at the people that are affected, uh, my family, uh, Michael Douglas is in the film, produced by Matthew Modine, uh, Louis Black is in the film. And these are people who actually have lived experiences that are talking to the nuclear threats and hazards and risks posed by the technology. We really can't understand the full impact of the large-scale deployment of our technology. The proposed Yucca Mountain High-Level Nuclear Waste Repository, for example, that is to isolate high-level nuclear waste from commercial nuclear reactors for tens of thousands of years, but it is not a solution. It would, in fact, be an ongoing research and development project because there was so many actions that would need to be taken over the next 100 years, which includes transportation from the 115 reactors at 75 locations. Some have multiple reactors in 30 states. Each of the communities that have these reactors have received the benefits from the uh, technology, the jobs, the the, uh, high-tech education, the taxes, the dividends, the revenues. And we're supposed to bear 100% of the risk from every site. So those individual waste streams would become a river as that nuclear waste would come to Nevada. Now, we were able to stop that based upon our lifestyle uh, contentions in the Atomic Safety Licensing Board of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. They spent $15 billion as well on that site, which they are required, the Department of Energy is required to prove ownership to under 10 CFR 60.121 ownership. And they cannot do it because uh, the Western Shoshone Treaty of Ruby Valley is in full force in effect, even with the Bureau of Land Management master title plats, which are the land status record of the United States government, the Department of Energy could not prove ownership because the Treaty of Ruby Valley is in full force in effect. So that's kind of how we're able to defend ourselves slightly, but we can't protect ourselves from all of the nuclear threats and hazards And this is why we're calling upon President Biden to create the Western Shoshone Treaty Reservation under Article 6 of the Treaty of Ruby Valley. Mm. This is what we need to grow, to develop, and be protected and find other ways to uh, uh, protect our land and people over the next 10,000 years. You mentioned um, the Western Shoshone being one of the most bombed indigenous uh, or nations, uh, landlocked nations uh, throughout the world, and certainly the indigenous peoples of uh, Hawaii being the most bombed nations surrounded by water. Um, I also can't help but think about the legacy of uh, the military in uh, its nuclear testing on indigenous peoples elsewhere. So, for example, the Marshallese peoples uh, being tested yes. on, you know, back in the day and, and, and so many uh, 
of their survivors uh, relocated um, to Arkansas, and and they were one of the hardest hit uh, communities as well during the COVID-19 pandemic. So this kind of compounded effect of settler colonial violence, um, you know, stemming from the militarization and nuclear testing on the people in the land. And I was wondering, maybe you could speak to that and uh, prize our listeners of that legacy uh, that people may have forgotten or simply are unaware of. Yeah, I think uh, most nuclear weapons testing by all nations has been done on other people's land. So here in the United States, 928 on the Shoshone uh, nation, and for the French, the Marshall Islands, I mean, the uh, uh, and the United States in the Marshall Islands, and uh, for the French in Morocco, for the uh, Soviets in Kazakhstan. Now, what's, I think, different between those and here is that in all those other places, there are health registries, surveillance, and monitoring, but not here. Mm. It's not done here. Because if we really started doing that, we'd understand that the, all the American people are downwinders, and we're all suffering the uh, adverse health consequences known to be plausible from exposure to radiation everywhere. And some of the places with the highest fallout are North Dakota. Another, uh, North Dakota, Kansas, even Kodak factory in New York was warned, but not the people. So we really got to work on this. And as I said before, origin is important. When we look to the Marshall Islands, the kinds of things that they did there to wipe their islands, some of their islands, off of the face of the earth under the guise of, oh, this is just uh, testing, and then your homeland is gone. Another thing they did was they took 200,000 tons of uh, Shoshone dirt, soil, uh, radiation contaminated, and they took that to the Marshall Islands, and it is in the, the cement dome that is uh, the subject of climate change right now that is bobbing up and down. So Shoshone soil out there is being pumped into the ocean in the Marshall Islands because of climate change. And last year, the uh, governing council of the Marshall Islands under Governor Mayor Anderson uh, came to our country. We took them to Death Valley. We took them to Yucca Mountain of the Nevada test site. And it's the same story. They said it's the same story. And uh, we shared some time with them. And, uh, you know, it's something that we all have to attend to and be aware of and share our understandings for the future, because this is not going to go away. The fallout is out there. The hot spots are out there. And we need to find different ways to uh, understand what happened. It just didn't happen to my people. It happened to all Americans and all the world. We uh, uh, also last month had an opportunity to sit down with the Maori at mm. the Grand Canyon, meeting with the Havasupai and the superintendent. So this is all happening, you know, ongoing, but in a, in a big way, connecting people far away to an understanding. And what they brought with them, we actually had the, uh, the people that are speaking, the only people legitimately empowered to speak for the river in New Zealand. That's been the subject of, do, you know, the, does the land have rights? So it's important to have, you know, an understanding of the land. We speak to the land. And as I said earlier, I am water. I say that because it's, it's true, and we need pure water. We know what we're trying to protect. 
we know what we have to protect, the pure water. And we have it on good authority. As I said, we walked out of 20,000 years in relation to this, this land, not somewhere else. This land here in the Great Basin, we have the oldest life. We're firmly walking in two worlds, and we need other people to step over and walk in both worlds as well. And I think it's hard for other Americans or, or people from other places to come here, spend you know an hour visiting the park, and then leave. We need people to uh, really take get a sense of ownership that we're all responsible for this land. We're all responsible for the future generations, and that yes, you are water. We all need to be caretakers. Um, if I'm hearing you correctly, and and that was kind of where I wanted to segue to is. You know, we we talked about you know the creation of this you know new monument, but this legacy, uh, this nuclear legacy or of nuclear colonialism, and and what needs to be done to clean up. So, for example, um, I think something like eleven percent of all abandoned uranium mines are located in Indian country, and um, you know going back to George Bush Jr.'s administration, the nuclear energy industry was able to lobby that administration and convince uh, the production of nuclear power as a form yes. of green energy and and so there's this perception that you know the production of electricity from nuclear power plants is a form of green energy and so as we maybe speak to the kind of contradictions of what uh, the nuclear energy is promoting and what you just said about we all need to be caretakers in healing uh, Mother Earth, which will allow for all life to heal. That's correct. Our, our view is, goes back when I saw my family dying. When I, um, in 1984, my uncle died of cancer. His throat fell out. And in 86, my grandfather died. His skin fell off. And he died of a heart attack. Uh, that was the official cause of death. The Indian Health Service didn't be begin keeping records on Native Americans until 1968. And that is why we began investigating to try to understand what happened to our people and find ways to protect ourselves. And awareness is key. You don't know what's killing you when it's done in secret. And we were up against the United States Atomic Energy Commission, the Department of Energy, and their conducting their activities in secret. And when they do things in secret, you know their intent. You know their intent when they do it in secret. So we uh, began to understand that they had other activities going on, and one of those was the proposed Yucca Mountain High-Level Nuclear Waste Repository, intended to store 70,000 metric tons of commercial high-level nuclear waste from uh, reactors and 15% military waste. We began uh, advocating and protesting against the weapons testing. We had tens of thousands of the Nevada test site, now the Nevada National Security Site. And uh, from that, we put pressure on the world court to seek an opinion on the illegality of nuclear weapons. And they found that, that uh, use or threat of use of nuclear weapons would uh, violate international human rights laws. That resulted in the 2021 Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And uh, we also, at the same time, began investigating the health consequences. Uh, we, we were looking at our horses, too. Mm. We always had horses. We always had the best of everything. We, you know, had uh, mountain homes, uh, 
you know, valley homes, river homes, lakeside homes. We had the best of everything, and now other Americans are trying to live that way, but we wouldn't build such huge mansions uh, and destroy the mountains just so we can have a view. But we always had the best of everything, and Mary and Carrie Dan, two Western Shoshone sisters, mm-hmm. my elders and council representatives, were grazing our horses and livestock uh, south of west of Elko, Nevada, and the Bureau of Land Management came along and trespassed them. They were acquitted of trespass, but went on to, to other issues. They blamed us for destruction of the range that was caused by radioactive fallout from U.S. nuclear weapons testing and destroyed our economy, stole our economy. They stole our horses, blaming us, and we're helpless. We have nothing. We have no way to defend them. They took away our economy, and that's kind of the reason why I'm in Las Vegas right now, but I'm continuing to fight for these things, continuing to fight for our treaty reservation, just guaranteed under Article 6 of the Treaty of Ruby Valley. We need that. We need that safe place to live for our future generations. In the meantime, we're doing this work on behalf of all the people. All of us need clean water. All of us need healthy land, just not indigenous people. But that's how we got to these issues. And at Yucca Mountain, after spending $15 billion dollars the Department of Energy could not prove ownership, and it is a requirement. So in terms of what would be helpful now, I think that all of these federal projects ought prove ownership. Very simple, free from significant uh, encumbrances. For example, uh, President Biden has put $700 million into the Ioneer lithium mine, which is near Silver Peak, uh, halfway between Reno and Las Vegas. You've heard of the Thacker Decker Pass mine up on the uh, Oregon border, but this one's halfway between Reno and Las Vegas, and this is an overburden upon us so that these industries can rape and our land. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with longtime indigenous activist Ian Zabarte on his responses to the recent announcement of the ancestral footprint of the Grand Canyon National Monument and the legacy of nuclear colonialism. And now back to the interview. And we're going to fight against these things, too. But uh, we're working on the big ones, which is nuclear weapons. We stopped that. We have a moratorium now high-level nuclear waste. We stopped that, but it is ongoing. The Yucca Mountain High-Level Nuclear Waste Repository is being in play in the licensing by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission two years ago of the Andrews, Texas Interim Storage Partners Nuclear Waste Repository above ground. And I think about one month ago, the uh, New Mexico, just 20 miles away from the uh, uh, Texas site on the New Mexican border, another Holtec proposed uh, interim storage facility. So that's kind of what's going on. Yucca Mountain is used in both the licensing of those because it's illegal to site a interim storage facility without first there being a, a repository. So that's being litigated now by Beyond Nuclear. And we continue to advocate on the illegality of that licensing to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and others, and uh, we're going to win this because their goal is just to make money. Nuclear is, is, not, is not clean. Every st- step in the nuclear chain releases CO2. Thousands of workers using big, heavy equipment going to mine 
the uranium and leave their, their piles of tailings behind. Thousands of workers going to uh, you know, drive to their, their, their job site and produce the fuel, fuel fabrication and enrichment of the uranium that goes to a reactor. Thousands of workers building these reactors. I think the Vogel 3 and 4 at uh, Savannah River, I believe it's right there, has up to $30 billion. The price tag doubled, and it's taken nearly 15 years to complete. At that rate, there is no hope in nuclear to save our world. And then if you look a th- 100, 500, or 1,000 years in the future, who's going to go out and do that uranium mining? Who's going to go out and build those, uh, uh, do the fuel fabrication and build those reactors? Who is going to dispose of the high-level nuclear waste safely? It's a big problem, and it's the wrong direction, and it is gas pedal, no brakes, in the wrong direction. And we need to stop that. And that concludes part one of our two-part interview with longtime indigenous activist Ian Zabarti, speaking on the recent announcement of the creation of the ancestral footprint of the Grand Canyon National Monument and the legacy of nuclear colonialism and its unresolved issues and more. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Watch the sunrise in your eyes, taking care of the elders' pride. Hey, hey, Mother Earth, hey, hey, Father Sky. And me, I've watched it grow, corporate greed and a lust for gold, and coal and oil and rain, now uranium. Keep the Indians under your thumb. Pray like hell when your bad times come Hey, rip them up, strip them up Get them with a gun She was a friend of mine And in May in the snows of the winter time We were running across the fields of Indian land Ducking bullets from the guns of a pale man Oh, oh, woman hunted in the land what did you say about uranium she come to see me one day I was living in a little place in LA she was running from the field of the tailor's touch singing hey much about uranium Lust for gold and coal and oil. Hey. 
uranium. Keep the Indians under your thumb. Pray like hell when your bad times come. Hey, rip them up, strip them up, get them with a gun. The song The Uranium Wars by Buffy St. Marie, who announced this past week she would be ceasing all live performances due to medical reasons. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. In the second part of our program, we go back to part two of our interview with longtime Native American activist from the Nueva Segovia or Western Shoshone Nation, Ian Zimbarte. He's speaking on the recent creation of the ancestral footprint of the Grand Canyon National Monument and the legacy of nuclear colonialism and its implications on Mother Earth and all life. And now back to the interview. You mentioned horses, and and um, it makes me think about our our conversation is very human centered, and in, in relationship to talking about uh, the legacy of nuclear colonialism and in uranium. And um, I was sorry, maybe you could speak to to the non human aspect of it. And I know you 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 have in indirect ways, and certainly, you know, uh, when you say we are water and water is life, um, um, that extends beyond just uh, people. Yeah, yeah. In in our um, in in the sh- traditional Shoshone point of view, everything has pua power. Mm. And I was since I was. 18 or 19, been going to council meetings, and I'm almost 60 now. And I had the opportunity to be with some true medicine women and men, Eunice Silva, Corbin Harney. I mention their names year, now because it's 20 years later, but we're, yeah. we don't talk about those that have passed traditionally. But they did a lot to uh, raise me, to shape me, and put me on this path to you know, protect the land and people. And when we would go to these places, you know, we're making medicine. We're, you know, sharing medicine. We're uh, creating visions and enriching people's minds, their lives. And we look at the land. As I mentioned, we have the oldest life on the planet here in the Great Basin. We have the uh, bristlecone pine, 6,800-year-old tree, one tree. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, creosote, we call it yotumbi. Uh, throughout the Mojave here, it is 11,700-year-old clone in the Mojave. Every plant is connected genetically. Then we have the Pando, which is Quaking Aspen, uh, the largest in the Goshute Shoshone. It's uh, 24 square miles and 80,000 years and older. We have the uh, Devil's Hole pupfish. All of these pupfish used to be saltwater breathing, and the oceans receded. And no, they're a million years old. I'll just guess because nobody really knows it. Over 90,000, I'm thinking at least a million years old. So this is the kind of life that we're uh, in connection with. And I have quite a few years and good people giving me insights into these. You know, and when you approach the people, they look at you. They want to know, who is this person? Who is this person? Do I want to teach them something? And uh, I was fortunate enough. It took 30, 40 years, but yeah. Uh, I was taught something, and uh, I have to pay homage to my to my elders and to you know the Creator that gave us the instructions of how to live in peace and harmony, in balance, and walk in beauty on this land here. And I'm sharing that with your listeners because in the desert, 
or in the mountains, you know, we have to conserve. You can't have uh, some other things, palm trees everywhere, and that's kind of one of the things that's big in Las Vegas. But of the top 10 users of Colorado River water, Las Vegas is the lowest. The big users are Utah and Arizona, and they're not quite learning those lessons yet, but we're going to keep teaching. Thank you for sharing uh, with us on that. And when we talk about the nuclear power plant industry, as you mentioned, the Savannah, Georgia nuclear power plant, and you mentioned earlier in the interview, I think it was like 111 um, nuclear power plants or nuclear reactors um, in operation. But you also mentioned, you know, nuclear waste. And so a lot of these nuclear power plants uh, are kind of de facto um, uh, repositories for nuclear waste. And I was wondering maybe you could speak to that and why it's so critical to really not produce energy from nuclear power plants for that for that matter. The nuclear industry are running the wheels off these plants because right now they're just making money. All of their capital investment is paid and they're just making money and they want to continue to do that. The problem is that running these reactors longer requires a high burn fuel. This uh, means the fuel will be uh, hotter when it comes out. It'll mm-hmm. stay in the reactor longer and it's going to uh, make the materials in the reactor more brittle over time with the potential for an accident. We really just need to stop these reactors. We need to stop the small modular reactors. These are part of the proliferation and uh, they were originally designed for submarines, military, naval vessels, and now they're being proffered to Native Americans as if we need that kind of technology. It would just be used to uh, run the mines, and uh, whether that's gold, silver, uranium, whatever it is, and it's not responsible to continue in that, in that way. Like I said, who's going to go mine that? You're going to have to be paying them a lot of money. They're going to have to really want that money badly rather than protect the environment now which is what we ought to do so we really need to to stop with the with the nukes every step in the nuclear chain releases co2 as i mentioned earlier even the core of the reactor is fissioning radioactive carbon it goes into everything all of these reactors are environmental catastrophes the uh, radioactive uh, hydrogen which is water tritium (laughs) <laughs> I had to get back to the right word. Yeah, there's there's tritium under all of these reactors. It's just leaking. And, you know, these are very dangerous in comparison to a terrorist attack at a reactor versus a windmill or solar farm. I've been working as an IBEW electrician since 2014 and uh, finally got to build solar out in the desert uh, mm-hmm. last couple of years. And we can build those 10 times faster and 10 times cheaper than nuclear, the Moapa River Indian Reservation is providing electricity to the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power from solar plants out here. Prior to that, the coal-fired power plant was operating on the reservation and polluting the Grand Canyon. We got that shut down, and now we've replaced the excess line capacity with renewables. That's the way to do it. It's the right thing to do, and there's good jobs and good money. We need to do more of that. We need to do more of that, and Uh, In the meantime, those reactors need to shut down. When my bathtub is overflowing, I turn off the water first. And that's where we are. And the people 
who want those jobs, the people who want that uh, technology, they want more of it. And we're supposed to bear the, the burden, and they're getting all the benefits. So classic risk assessment is you go into a casino, $100, you might lose your $100, or you might make untold riches. Well, that's balancing the positive against the negative, and that's what's missing in these proposals. We're being discriminated against. It's called environmental racism, where we're supposed to bear all the negative burden and all the positive benefits go to somebody else. That's environmental racism. That's why, that's why we need a safe place to live. Our people don't have that. We need places where we can grow and develop and understand and predict what the uh, threats, hazards, and risks would be and avoid those. Engage in protective behavior. Eat less of the radioactive rabbit, for example. Um, that was our, our uh, uh, risk assessment model. We reevaluated the Department of Energy's offsite radiation exposure review profile and found that based on lifestyle differences, we were significantly increased risk of exposure than the non-Native American population. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with longtime Indigenous activist Ian Zabarte on his responses to the recent announcement of the ancestral footprint of the Grand Canyon National Monument and the legacy of nuclear colonialism. And now back to the interview. Because we live closer to the land. And we have to educate ourselves over and over and over again. So by sharing this with your listeners, by sharing this with non-Native people, by educating people to have a better understanding of how to live on the land, how to live, uh, we are part of the environment. That's what we need to protect. You mentioned um, U.S. military or small modular reactors, and certainly with over 800 military bases uh, globally. I know the um, Department of Defense has endorsed the uh, usage of the small modular uh, reactors that you mentioned. And also, um, you know, even going back to the Obama administration, which uh, the Biden administration is carrying through with, is the allocation of $1.7 trillion to reconstitute, you know, America's nuclear weaponry system, right? Um, Not manufacturing new nuclear weapons, but reconstituting the nuclear arsenal that already exists. And certainly the U.S. is um, not, I think, the largest uh, or just right behind, you know, Russia and having the largest nuclear arsenal in the world. And you can certainly... uh, Correct me on that, uh, but you mentioned liability, and and coming back to the nuclear power plant industry, there is something called the 1957 Price-Anderson Act, in which uh, each plant owner's accident liability is limited to some $300 million per year, and I think back in 2017, the maximum amount um, available uh, for primary insurance was increased up to $450 million. And I bring this act up because it's supposed to address liability for the nuclear or the nuclear industry, but not for everyone else, not for indigenous peoples in their respective First Nations, um, as well as all Americans and people that reside here. And I was wondering if maybe um, you could uh, uh, speak to that in in greater detail, because I know the act, if I understand correctly, is uh, under uh, the Energy Policy Act of 2000. 
five um, is set to expire or has limited expiration coming uh, up to 2025. Yeah, um, that is a uh, in some ways related to the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. Uh-huh. That is what we actually need for all Americans, but that work ought not end until all Americans have universal health care. That's where I'm, I'm going because we're all downwinders. And when you look at the, the fallout, that's, where, uh, that's what's happened to the American people. Some estimates are 6 million Americans exposed to the radiation and fallout, and they, that has cascading health effects into the children, uh, girls over boys, two to one, and that is bad. That is so very bad. We need to protect the children. We need to protect the land. But getting back to the weapons testing, there is actually the new W-93 warhead, which is a complete new design, and the military and scientists will want to test these things, full-scale testing, and we can't let that happen. It is a, it, these weapons of, nuclear weapons of mass destruction violate every Indian peace treaty, and mm-hmm. other tribes need to step up Support the Shoshone. We need our treaty reservation. We also need to stop these weapons of mass destruction from being created. Currently, we have a nuclear arsenal that is good for another 100 years. And we really need to end our obsession with these nuclear weapons so that we can protect our environment. We can either have a healthy environment, and there's already uh, serious threats to that, or we can have our nuclear weapons. We need to stop our obsession with these nukes and take that money. We got an $858 billion, excuse me, uh, $1.7 trillion budget with $858 billion for militarism, and we're not conserving or protecting the land as we ought, and we need to get on with that. I've been doing it for the last 40 years of my life, and other people need to get up. I think it's important every day to live and speak the truth, so that's why I was building solar, because that's what needed to be done, and... Uh, all of the solar sites out there on the Moapa River Indian Reservation, I think 6,000 acres, are producing good, clean solar. And I worked hard to create those environmental regulations and with the tribe, and then I went out and decided I want to actually build it. So I was the environmental director there. That's how I shut down the coal-fired power plant after the community has been suffering for years. That's how we protect the Grand Canyon. We uh, build the solar, creating the environmental regulations, and then build these things. I do that. It's the right thing for me to do, and I wish other people would uh, think about the things that they can do on a daily basis to protect land and people. But right now, we have to resist the nuclear weapons and this push for more nuclear nuclear power. You know, the joke is fusion is just 10 years, 20 years away. That's been the joke for the last 30, 40 years, and it's the same with the nuclear industry. Energy too cheap to meter, that's a lie. Thank you for that response. And I think um, in avoiding you uh, repeating yourself, but really just emphasizing um, what you're stressing, I was wondering if maybe revisit the urgency of the message within the context of what people understand to be the climate crisis, and certainly for Indigenous peoples and the respect to First Nations, you know, that first generation of climate crisis can go all the way back to, uh, you know, first contact or that first generation of contact with uh, colonists. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned, these nuclear weapons violate every Indian peace treaty. Mm. But the early colonists were organized 
and created the Second Amendment, which is intended to support those immigrants from England who were fighting against other peoples, French, other, uh, other colonial peoples, and Native Americans. That was the original intent of the Founding Fathers in developing the Second Amendment, to kill Indians, to allow colonists to uh, gather and bear arms, to kill Indians. And that will not stand. We're going to address that. And I come to this by my understanding of nuclear weapons, war, whether they be weapons, nuclear weapons of mass destruction or armor light, AKs, assault rifles. These weapons of war have no civil society. Their only design purpose is to kill human beings. And we need to stop that. We need to end that. There's, I'm trying to get through this life without somebody. And it seems like the um, military and the uh, industrial military complex seem intent on ensuring that every child is capable of killing somebody. That's wrong. We've covered a, a lot of ground, um, you know, since we first started and the work that you and others have done uh, tirelessly over the generations um, for the future. And with that, I was wondering if maybe you could share your thoughts and what your message is for the next generations of indigenous peoples and non-indigenous peoples, just based on your lived experiences, your sacrifices and the work that you've done and, and what you see happening right now, what's your, your message for them? Well, you know, I'm trying to bring everybody to the top of the mountain and get a good vision to envision what this world can be like when people care about each other where civilization exists. I think it was uh, a Margaret Mead was asked, she was the anthropologist, when civilization began. And she said about 26,000 years ago when the first human being cared about another human being with a broken leg because that was a death sentence at that time. And that is why we need to have an understanding that the course of war and these weapons of war go against everything civil and caring of other people and the land. We need to get off that course and get back to, so that, that that's my mid-range goal, is to change the moral center of, of society, to have a more caring approach to people and the world. And there is hope. Hmm. Every day I have hope, and that hope is that every chance I get to do the right thing, I choose to do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. And that makes my life, my every day, uh, bright. And really, that's the hope, doing the right thing. Give me a chance to do the right thing. I will do it. I'm doing it. And that's what I want to share to the people. Doing the right thing is important. People do care, and they notice. So let's do the right thing. Ian, uh, talk about uh, what uh, events being organized by the Native Community Action Council uh, this coming November. We're doing a Native American Forum on Nuclear Issues November 19th, 20th, and 21st. It's actually the 20th and the 21st. Day one will be Indigenous people. Day two will be our uh, scholars and, and supporters on nuclear issues. So it'll be a good event. And we're going to show the film Downwind here in Las Vegas on one of those days. 
Is there contact information um, for that conference or that you want to provide listeners, uh, website or? It'll be nativecommunityactioncouncil.org, nativecommunityactioncouncil.org. And you can find us on Facebook. There's uh, going to be more information forthcoming, and it's open to the public, uh, people that want to get educated, people that want to support uh, the movement. Like I said, we stopped the weapons testing. We stopped the high-level nuclear waste dump, but these are not permanent stops, and we're going to continue to work on those. We're going to keep pushing. The moment of silence is over. And that was longtime Indigenous activist Ian Zimbarte of the Western Shoshone Nation, or Nui Segovia, and of the Native Community Action Council, speaking on the recent creation of the ancestral footprint of the Grand Canyon National Monument, as it's known in English, as well as the legacy of nuclear colonialism and its adverse harmful effects on Native American nations, peoples, lands, and life throughout Mother Earth. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest, Ian Zimbarte. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Buffy St. Marie, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burn Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. While your freedom manifests on their graves. And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds. Nor the hands that hold the chains. In a rhythm of resistance, we still fight for our lives. In this war that never Silence is over.